Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. All right, uh, let's start from the top. Tell us where you are, who you are, and what you do. I am Paul uh, of St. Paul and the Broken Bones, and uh, I am in Birmingham, Alabama. I uh, roll around on the floor and scream. But yeah, I definitely immerse myself. <laughs> um, if full, fully, for sure. I always feel like after a show, I've got hit by a train. That's the best way I can describe it. Now, you may not remember this, but um, I did an interview with you, God, ages and ages ago, the week that you were officially quitting the bank. Oh, wow. As a teller, when you're, I think your first maybe EP was starting to get some notice. And you were like, yeah, like I'm thinking about finally just doing it. Like I'm gonna give notice and I'm not sure <laughs> if this is the right move. Um, I think we can all agree it was probably the right move. It was the right move. No, there's no doubt about that. It, at the time it was very scary. Yeah, that that was a, a a very different time, but I would I would say yes, it ended up being a good decision. And uh, Alien Coast comes out in January, and uh, man, it's a it's a whirlwind tour through, uh, I would say, a pretty, almost like demonic <laughs> view of planet Earth and space. Almost like we're going in different realms at the same time. We definitely kind of experimented and kind of did did kind of whatever we wanted to do. Hey again, everybody. You're tuned into the show on the road, and I'm here with my new co-pilot, July Jasper. Uh, she's about a month old, and uh, we're going to introduce you to St. Paul and the Broken Bones. I think being a new father and uh, having a daughter who's about to lose her cool at any moment is very fitting for this song and for this artist. I can safely say I've been a huge fan of Paul's for many years. Now, I often feel a bit self-conscious on stage and seeing a guy like Paul who honestly looked like he was a bank teller in Alabama go completely nuts and wow audiences of thousands around the world it inspires me to this day and when I see my little daughter in my arms right now looking at me it's like I'm performing in a new way I never thought possible every morning she wakes up 
and she has this grin on her face. She stretches her arms, and she says, Man, I'm so happy to be alive. But then, about three to five minutes later, she forgets about all that and needs to eat, and she flips out. She loses her cool, okay? And I do my best to help her, and the thing that she loves most is not me playing piano at her or the guitar. It's actually her just walking around, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. She wants action. And when I listen to St. Paul and the Broken Bones, I can feel this turmoil inside. I can feel the horns and the guitars and the drums trying to express something deep inside of Paul. And this new record, Alien Coast, man, he is really unleashing some power inside of him that he never maybe realized was there. And uh, I'm so glad you're here. All right, little JJ, you want to sign off? What do you want to say? Okay, there you have it. Here he is now, Paul of St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Hello, darling. I just got your message in space. I wonder if, like, we went into that song uh, popcorn ceiling for a second if it felt maybe after it came out or after you heard the final result if it reminded you of like an alternate reality rocket man <laughs> like Elton John but like on another dimension <laughs> capturing the sort of loneliness of isolation maybe trying to like tell that person you love who's so far away that you love them and maybe not knowing if that message is ever going to get through. I mean, I, that, I, I would uh, take that as a compliment for sure. Um, I don't, I, I think there's definitely an element. I mean, part of it is like an element of relief that you're kind of, cause you know, that's kind of the point where like the, the fever dream kind of stops right. within the record. So you can hear like the opening opening of that. There's a breath. It's like, <gasps> and then yeah. you, then then the realization comes to where you're just like, oh, I'm just in some terrible hotel, lonely, sad, staring up at a ceiling, trying to figure. You know what I mean? Like right. trying to figure figure things out. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, of of kind of loneliness and sadness in that for sure. lot of this record sort of came to be in moments of isolation on the road stuck in a hotel room somewhere far away from the ones you love and it is sort of the sacrifice that a lot of us make when you actually are pursuing your dream right you're out there you're opening for the fucking rolling stones <laughs> now it all seems glorious to a lot of other people right but it is a job that takes its toll and this sort of um, 
alternate reality that we all kind of create when we're traveling 150, 200 days a year. You can't ever get your uh, comfort zone back in a way, right? You're yeah, I always compare it to Neverland. Yeah, I always compare it to Neverland and like <laughs> Peter Pan because you know a bunch of adults can act like children. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And and they never like there's there there are responsibilities, but then you you do kind of realize you're like, man, this it can't. Yes, there is a price. There is a price to be paid with those things. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I'm not complaining. It's what I do for a living. Um, but yeah, definitely you have those moments, whether you be on tour, it happens to me more in Europe because you mm. are, you know, in those kinds of places. Cause you're just like, you are stuck in some <laughs> shitty hotel or something. And you're like, what, what, you know, what am I doing? And, and, um, so yeah, I think, I think that's definitely part of, part of, part of the idea is the isolation you kind of feel. And I think everybody's thinks that you're supposed to feel a certain way, like very lucky and fortunate. And I do feel those things, but I also feel sometimes very lonely and very isolated and, and kind of, which some of the records about is kind of experiencing things through a haze where you're not fully, fully coming to grips with what's happening. You, you have things happen at such a clip that it's hard to really um, digest what, what happened. Um, it's right. just every night, everything, something happening, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think those are definitely in this record for sure. Well, especially someone like you who gives so much of himself to the audience every single night, you're wringing yourself out to the point where, you know, I've seen you at a festival here and there and it's like, I get exhausted just watching you as a fellow performer, right? Is there a point where you walk on stage where you feel that switch turn on and then you have to turn it off? Or is it just part of you now? Um, I mean, I think it's definitely a switch still. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a difference. It's my kind of um, 45 minutes to an hour and a half of therapy in a way. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I, I always kind of feel like you you gotta you've got to immerse yourself in it. I, I kind of compare it to method acting. Yeah, you know, you you really do have to immerse yourself and become that whatever that character is or whoever that performer is. And to me, it is a switch. You know, the moment you hit the stage, it's a different you know it's a different thing. And the moment you get off, right? You know, it is it there is a switch there. Um, it's it's a weird thing, but I've never been. You know, I, I don't think it really carries over typically. Sometimes when you're after, like immediately after the show and people want to talk to you, it's kind of like, cool, you're just kind of in a haze. You know, you gotta, you, gotta, you know, you just kind of, you're not really experiencing anything at that point. Well, you grew up in, um, you know, a small town in Alabama and, you know, I've read obviously that you considered becoming a Pentecostal preacher and all that. But I think the thing that struck me is that more so the preaching and the performance of 
that um, person who's leading the charge through his church, that actually maybe affected you as a performer more than the music that was being sung, right? I actually kind of felt the same way growing up in Chicago where we would go to this church, totally different type of church. But I would watch the minister and see how he could spellbind the audience, right? Whether it was through humor and through the teachings of Jesus or whatever, none of that really resonated with me. I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to follow Jesus. But I loved following him through his stories, right? right. And seeing how the audience was transfixed each Sunday. That was like a very powerful thing. You're preaching a sort of gospel now as you've become a more educated and um, enlightened person, right? <laughs> like you have some pretty intense um, ideas that you're bringing us on. I mean, Young Sick Camellia, your last record before this new one, we brought, you know, you sort of brought us into the world of Caravaggio, right? Yeah. You, you are bringing us into um, this new world on Alien Coast of um, Italian sculpture and, <laughs> you know, again, like alternate reality Greek mythology. Right? Yeah. And I think many people, they see you guys as like this rambunctious Southern soul group. Right. Section and the guy who wears a sequined cloak <laughs> and goes nuts on stage. But really, this is a very erudite journey that we're going on in alien coast yeah i mean i i always it's weird because you don't want to over intellectualize much you know like you don't want to go too far up your own ass um but at the same time like to me it's still it's still an art and it's something that where i where i can draw inspiration from whether it be you know like there's one song on the record called bermejo and the devil and bermejo was a it was a, a Spanish painter, and the uh, devil is this Saint Michael triumphs over the uh, the devil, and it's this painting I saw in London that's amazing, but it's beautiful, but the devil is horrifying, and I always thought like that would be like a, a part of my nightmares. But yeah, I mean we explore a lot of different territory um, lyrically. It's funny I always like the juxtaposition. I'm just that kind of person, you know. I can talk to you about you know Caravaggio but I can also talk to you about professional wrestling so that's really what I'm that's really kind of who I am so lyrically and what we explore through the music um, can kind of be a, a lot a lot of those kinds of things and I think if you just hear it on the surface level you go oh well that's a fun little dance song or that you know what I mean like it's one of those I, I kind of enjoy that because fans of yours and, and bands and things I'm a fan of, I always found it interesting when there was a little bit more to it than just yeah. a love song. Maybe I overcompensate because I'm from a small town in the South and I think everyone just assumes I'm a dumbass. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so maybe you feel like you have to overcompensate for that. but I. But I, 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 maybe that's a subconscious thing that I'm not aware of, but I know that I find inspiration. I find more inspiration in, in going to an art museum than I do listening to a record anywhere. Hmm. Um, and that's just, for some reason, it speaks to me differently. And it speaks to me on that, on a creative level. 
Um, so I think it, that's a interesting journey. And I, I assume there's probably people that don't think that that's the case for us, you know? Well, I noticed that throughout some of the songs on this record, there's almost the um, ominous narrator that comes in and out of songs. It's like a whispering. It's like a sort of this demonic hushed <laughs> storyteller that's kind of going in one ear and like trying to convince you to go on this trip, you know? Sure. Um, and it's funny because the end of that song, Bermejo and the Devil, there's this Spanish guitar kind of outro. And it reminds me of the imagery and sort of the vibe of Lil Nas X, you know, some <laughs> of his recent stuff where, again, he's taking us on this trip where we fall in love with the devil and have relations with the dark, <laughs> with the dark side you know you know and again he's like the biggest pop star in the world almost right now but he's opening up this idea of myth and human sacrifice and people are like both appalled but also like very intrigued you know that you can call me when you want call me when you need You know, I, I, I think the most soul bands aren't going to be familiar with uh, Barmejo's work, you know, but <laughs> if maybe some people hear this talk, hear you talk about how art can really move you, maybe they'll go to that museum and look at these paintings and start creating something on their own. I, I am one of those people that, that goes from like, think, like, I'll be really interested in something and then. I'll be interested in another thing. And it just kind of, you do, you try to find these creative springboards that, that inspire you and, and, and keep you, keep you hungry, I guess is the best way I can say it to keep you kind of wanting to explore new territory, potentially like, you know, it's, it's weird for me because the band started at a very certain point and it was like, it was great. And it's been, it's paid off for us. Um, but I think we all decided, we were like, that's not all we want to say. Right. You know, we could have made the same records over and over again. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I, and people who do that, I don't have, I mean, it's not that they're wrong. It's just, I feel like for us, like this band is extremely talented. And I think that there's so much more territory that we can explore and, and, and subject matter that maybe um, is a little different um, and inspiration. So I, you know, and, and hopefully people connect with it or, or yeah, maybe it does spring somebody. Yeah. This is just a huge advertisement for people to go to art museums. That's really <laughs> yeah. what this is. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, whatever, whatever, but yeah, it's just to kind of be creative and, and, you know, maybe, you know, connect with somebody. Let's go back to the founding of the band. I know you uh, and Jesse, who plays bass, have been together a long time now. 
you guys put together that first EP. I think it was a greetings from St. Paul and the mm-hmm. Broken Bones. It's sort of like a last ditch well, farewell to like maybe this life of, well, we're going to be in some bands and this is the last sort of little parting shot. Um, and then, you know, you were going to school for accounting, I believe. And, and that was going to be it. You know, I think a lot of us believe in our late 20s going into 30s. It's like this is time to really right. be serious as a person, you know. Uh, I think you just met your wife. You know, it's like now we're going to, you know, get serious about things. And um, then things start trickling in for you guys. And I remember being in that first wave of people who heard all the stories, you know, start coming out of about you with like, well, he looks like this guy who shouldn't <laughs> be able to sing like Otis Redding, which is like a bit redundant at a certain point. Sure. You know, but the, it's more than that. I think like seeing someone who can feel something that deeply on stage and be so fearless, you know, where you have to have a lack of shame in a way, like you have to <laughs> risk almost falling off the stage, which I think you've done a few times, you know? I have. <laughs> <laughs> But like, what was the first, what was the first moment, you know, um, and maybe it was when that Broken Bones and Pocket Change song started going around. What was the first moment where you realized this is something that I'm really going to do seriously and I'm going to dive headlong into it? Um, I think it was a process. It was kind of stages, right? Um, it wasn't just like a kabam, let's do this, but um, I knew... So there were some people within the local, within Birmingham that were like, hey, we want to sign y'all. And, and I, I saw that enthusiasm. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And we ended up not doing that. But mm-hmm. I could, so that was the first kind of telltale sign of like, okay, something's, you know what I mean? There's something here because right. you got these, some of these local folks who are like, hey, you know, they're just very aggressive. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, luckily we were, we were kind of smart enough to go, okay, let's just kind of wait and see, you know, let's, let's see. And then um, I remember selling out, there was this club in Birmingham called Bottle Tree Cafe. And it was like a 200 something cap room. And I interned there for a brief time, but it was, it was Bottle Tree was this haven for people that just love music and kind of left of center music. It was just, it was curated really well. And it was just a magical place. Um, so we started playing there and we played there like four times in a month, which, you know, as you know, is not a good idea if you're trying to like sell <laughs> a place out, you know, you're, you're thin and out your audience. But what we noticed is every time we played, there was more people showing up. And by that last time we were actually the opener um, and we sold the place out. Yeah. And the band that played after us was like, Hey, and they knew like, it's not one of those things. Like they knew they're like, Oh, cause you know, when most of the audience leaves after you're done, yeah. <laughs> that, that's typically a sign. Um, and I knew then I was like, okay, this is about to turn into something a little bit more than just a Birmingham thing. And then we, 
did um, some Nashville Music City roots and got a manager. And then, you know, then it kind of was off to the races from there. And then, you know, booking agents started being really interested. And, and that's when I knew I was like, and that was about the time where I was working at Wells Fargo. And I knew then, I mean, we knew with broken, we knew with that EP that we were going to have to see it through. You know, we just knew when we made it, they were like, we're just going to, this thing needs a chance, whatever that looked like. And we didn't have a clue what that looked like. We just thought we need to put it out on banking. You know what I mean? Um, So I think it was a process and then you have, you have each step and then, you know, you achieve some things that you've, you thought were never possible. And then you're like, okay, well, what's next? And you you just kind of continue to be like, well, that'd be kind of cool to do that, you know? And so just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, and then the record that kind of put you on the map where people started really coming in, obviously, is uh, Half the City, 2014. And um, I think the resurgence of um, soul music and funk as, I think, a bedrock of American music, I think, became solidified around that time. You know, a lot of bands, um, obviously, the Alabama Shakes were rising to the top around that time Ben Tanner helped make that record um, from a band that literally had a guy working at the bank and then all of a sudden you're selling hundreds of thousands of records that's hard to do in this sort of post um, I think yeah I think I think what was bizarre or what was interesting is I didn't know that yeah you know because you got to think about it like we I remember we were recording the EP and we were getting it done we had kind of decided you know, and then I remember getting it done and then starting to hear some of the shake stuff. And we were like, oh shit. Like we, we thought we were thinking, we're thinking, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be our thing. And then yeah. we heard that. And we're like, oh, okay. And then, um, luckily we're all friendly, but there's a really interesting, uh, thing when we heard that, but, but you got to remember like they were, they were around at that point. And so they had sold like, They'd already got gold and like the rocket shit was like strapped to them. So we just thought, oh, this is what happens. You know, like, you know what I mean? John Paul White was part, is part of Single Lock, which is the label we on. He was with the Civil Wars and like they had this massive success. So we were just like, oh, well, this must be what happens. Little did we know how actually rare all of it was. But we just, we were just like, oh, yeah. So we didn't really think, we, we kind of felt like, oh, like, we we did a B a B maybe and right. and you know the folks around us were like doing A pluses and so it was just, it was an interesting time and I don't think I appreciated it at the time because I just thought oh well that's that's what happens and um, not that I assumed that it happened everywhere but it, it was just you know when you get that momentum that's what happens and uh, I just didn't realize how rare how rare that really was. Forsaken, forsaken me. Bones, oh,
love that question that someone asked you in an in an interview where they're like growing up only listening to religious music right in a pretty strict household when you first learned that that song call me was included in the 50 shades of gray soundtrack <laughs> but you're like i just thought it was like a you know a novel about you know people falling in love like it was like a romantic I thought it was a rom-com. Yeah, I thought it was a rom-com when they asked. And what was weird in that contract is they said, uh, they explicitly explicitly said non-sexual scene. I thought, well, that's odd. You don't really see that typically in a contract. Like, <laughs> And I was not familiar. Um, that's the only, that's one of the very few times that like, one, so a lot of those aggregate sites, like it went viral yeah. because it said Christian singer. And I was like, well, I didn't say that. I didn't remember really specified <laughs> my religious status, but whatever. Um, but uh, I do remember like, and I was like, sure, you know, um, Elton John had known the director and he had, I guess, put in a good word or made that happen and whatever, which was very kind. And uh, he, uh, and so, but I was, so I was like, cool. It's great. And then I was uh, in, I was in the movies watching a movie with my, my wife and a trailer comes on for the movie. And I was just like, oh no, like this is like a, this is not <laughs> what I thought we signed up for, which I was like, whatever, you know, I, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't, I don't, I didn't really care. It's not like it's some sort of, you know, terrible thing, but it was just, I was not familiar. I thought it was a rom-com, some sort of innocent movie. Um, Should have probably paid a little bit more attention, but Hey, I still would have put it in there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so it's it a phenomenon. Really I yeah. Mean, it's people it's people like your mom that probably got behind those books, right? It's like, it's like, you never know. You never know the ladies in the little church groups, all of a sudden they like, this is their <laughs> one little adventure. They can go into this book and they can like have a little bit of a, a thrill. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am 99.9% sure my mom, who I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen a, a book besides the Bible. Okay. Um, so I, I, <laughs> but you're right. It was like suburban moms. Yeah. You know what I mean? My, my sister, uh, worked at, uh, she was a cashier at the books a million, uh -huh. um, when that book came out and she, you know, it was always like suburban moms and it's, it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting audience for sure. There's an article I read about you talking about, you know, falling in love with, some stuff you saw on MTV for the first time when you were like eight or nine, like, you know, ACDC and Nirvana, you know, stuff that was like yeah. a little harder rock. Right. And your mom obviously didn't allow you to like have that as at a young age, but in the house, there was some Marvin Gaye, some Sam cook. Right. And maybe <laughs> like it's your mom's um, restrictions that put you into this more soul world instead of maybe you diving into like full on death metal. Yeah. I will. I mean, she always, she, yeah, she told me cause my cousin tried to give me a Nirvana CD and it was never mind. And she, she saw it and she, you know, took it away and, and, and spanked me. And, uh, it's funny cause later on, you know, as this stuff was kind of happening, she's like, well, aren't you glad that I didn't let you listen to that? Like, yeah. look, look where you are. And I'm like, well, I guess you're right. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, you we'll know, never know. I'll never know. But, Could have uh, been the new Axl Rose. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could have, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, it worked out. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't complain. I guess um, it, it was. It's not how I would raise my daughter, but. Um, how old is your daughter? She's fourteen months. So How's a year. It, how was it being a, a new dad? I'm about to have a, a kid in a month or so. Oh, are you really? Lay it on me. Oh, give me um, the give me the touring musician dad story well so bizarrely i mean she was born september 2020 so right. it's not right. like i was on the road a lot um it ended up being a, a fortunate thing for me um i mean it's it's interesting you know it's an interesting journey i mean it's the it's all the cliches that they say it is and then you know it's kind of one of those big events that kind of happens it's like it's like when people want to diss the beatles the beatles are just great you know, they just are great. It's, it is what it is. Like, it's it's going to be one of those moments that's it just is. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is, you know, it's it's all those things. And and you're not going to sleep, and you're going to get frustrated, and then you're going to be like, oh my god, I don't know if I can do this. And then your child is going to look at you and melt in your arms, and you're like, uh, you know, it's, it, there's all these things. You go through an array of emotions. Um, uh, and then you also like kind of understand it's like it's like if you have a dog right uh-huh. like you could just send your dog outside and they can hang out but, but like a child they depend on you to live so you <laughs> yeah. just have you just have to do right um but i think i mean so far i mean there's there's been there is you know she's all over the place she wants to be into everything um right now and so it's uh it's been a it's been fun it's been fun but it's also been a challenge for sure but yeah i mean it really is it's all the cliches anybody tells you um and each and each experience is different you know each child is different you know my sister had a child five months after and her child's very chill very chill like you know and my daughter is not chill she's (laughs) she's just very wants to be in everything and very curious dad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you reap what you sow, but um, she's, she wants to be into everything. So I hope that's a good sign. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, each kid's different and each experience is different and everyone kind of reacts to it differently, but uh, it definitely, um, definitely pretty wild. When you put out an opening track of the new record, like 3000 AD mass, it's almost like, do you have to like, protect your child from something this intense and possibly frightening <laughs> um she probably heard it because we were playing i was playing demos in the car all the time yeah. um she's like what does fire and brimstone mean then? exactly it's it is interesting to me because that doesn't seem intense to me because that's kind of what i grew up in um i kind of compare that opening to like um the uh, preacher robot in Futurama is kind okay. of like 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 a uh, like a Pentecostal pe- preacher robot um, talking from the future. But you um, have the line, you know, Lord, sink your teeth so I can feel it in my spine. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like almost like horror movie vibes, but like yeah, but like this respect and awe you have for this figure, this force in the sky. Yeah. Again, this this record has this sort of view of this person this isolated person searching into the heavens or like going into the heavens for more enlightenment and then finding that (laughs) it might be more 
dark and crazy up there than it is down here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, that's a, that's one of my favorite lines in that song for sure. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole record. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, it's definitely searching and, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of darkness to the record for sure. <laughs> Long, can you hear me up there in the sky? The fire of When you were a kid, was there a moment where you felt like, I know the voice and this talent and this power is inside me? Or was it something that you had to sort of work on throughout time? I never really heard my voice recorded until I was 18, 19 years old. So I don't really, it's not like I was aware of anything, you know. Um, and I went to open mic night and it registered with people. Um, and people were kind of like, oh, you got to, you know, you can, you can sing. All right. As a singer, I really don't feel like I've arrived to anything. I still kind of like, I think I can do some things better and get better at it and, and really, um, try and explore, you know, I don't, I, I, it's weird. Like, I don't feel like a truly great singer, um, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to achieve that with each song or each record we make um it's just one of those things um i feel like you gotta get i have to get on stage on a nightly basis just to feel adequate as a singer um so yeah. it's a it's a weird thing i mean we all have kind of imposter syndrome to a degree um and i'm never kind of i'm ne I, like i know that i can stay in key and i can do certain things but i don't I don't feel like a, a truly great singer and I hope, I hope to get there um, and, you know, striving to, but um, who knows? <laughs> do you have warm ups that you do to try to keep your voice in shape when you're really ripping it each night? Yeah. I mean, I try to go through a routine. I don't always, I'm not as disciplined about it as I should be, especially if like we're doing a two show run, it's like, whatever. I will just go do whatever I want to do and right. then be done. But if we're on tour and it's, you know, in-ears, in-ear monitors really changed the game for me. Um, having to scream over a, an eight piece band is really hard. Yeah. Um, and so it'll, that'll shred your voice pretty quick. So in-ears, I can really kind of lean on the nuance. Um, I move around a lot. And so having to figure out your breath and those things has been a little more complicated than I, I thought it would be. Um, mm. So once we get kind of a showdown, I kind of know what I need to do and where I need, you know, kind of don't be crawling under the drum riser, you know, on this song because you're not going to be able to do it. Um, and I would say this new record is there's a few songs that are by far the hardest I've had to sing. Um, so it's, 
we're going to have to get a little creative in how we do it live. Well, that's the thing, man. Like I find that the songs that I write in certain keys that push the limits of my range are the ones that feel most powerful. Sure. Live, right? Songs in D where you're really belting it. Like I can barely get there. You know, it's like Paul McCartney and Twist and Shout, you know, (laughs) it's like, his voice is gone, but he just gets there. And right. it feels like you're on the precipice, like about to jump off the cliff with him, you know? And I have to like decide <laughs> each night in this song, Sonic Boom, am I going to go falsetto during the chorus? <laughs> or am I going to really belt it? And it really depends how long we've been out, you know, on the road. <laughs> like sure. if my voice is feeling a little crisp or like, feeling nice and juicy <laughs> you know? and it's like not as powerful when you go falsetto for me like it just feels lame you know it, it luckily can, i can. have a lady singer who's a beast who can kind of like mask it because we're always singing mostly in tandem or harmony all right you are basically on your own up there if your voice starts right. to falter the whole band falls apart it's all, all right. on you yeah it's it's uh i do wish we had some back like some you know background singers for sure sometimes um it's just such a big band yeah we got some guys that can kind of sing in the band it's not like there's but it's just some of the stuff i've written is not exactly some of the easiest stuff to sing so um it gets a little it gets hard so um yeah i it definitely you definitely if you're having a bad night you're exposed and it's it's just it is what it is um, I always hate when that happens. Um, you know, you get a cold or you get, yeah, but that's all stuff we all deal with. You know, I mean, any singer or anybody, they deal with that all the time. And there's a certain time of year in the summer that I usually have an allergy attack. And sometimes it's bad enough that I, you know, we'll have to cancel the show. And sometimes I can get through it and I'm fine. Um, but it just depends. Do you remember, a, do you remember a certain show where you were, almost unable to sing but you went through anyway like you um out. well there was a lot on that first those first runs <laughs> that i should not have been singing at all and had i had a ent at the time which i do now they would have told me don't you dare sing um that first record interesting enough like half the city i can um i can kind of get through it even if I'm having a bad vocal day, uh-huh. um, I'm, I messed up and like wrote a lot of these other songs, not that way. Um, so it's a little bit more delicate. Um, the one that comes to mind always. So I had an emergency abidectomy and they went, you know, the intubation or however you say it, the intubation tube went down my throat mm. and, and, um, and I was in the hospital and the doctor, I was like, doctor was like, Hey, you got to take two weeks off. And he had no clue what I did or anything. I was like, Man. I said, sir, I got a show in four, four days in Chicago. I'm going to go play that show. Uh-huh. And he's like, he's like, I would not recommend that. I would not recommend that. And I was just always kind of, you know, you're always kind of taught like just rub some dirt on it and get through it. Right. Right. Um, you can't do that as a vocalist. It's a bad idea. Uh, and so I went to Chicago. I got through the show. I was struggling. I was struggling. I got through the show 
And then the next night, the next day, I had to get her up early and fly to Raleigh, North Carolina. And just throughout the day, my voice got continuously worse. And they, we had a doctor come and he was going to put shots in my throat. And, but he was just like, he's like, son, he's like, you're not, you're not singing tonight. And so I, that's the only time I just like, nothing came out, not, not yeah. a word. And, and I, so I flew home to my NT. My NT basically was like, look, had you figured out a way to get sound out of your, out of your mouth, you would have done permanent damage. So, yeah. you know, I always think about that. Like that Chicago show, I was like, should have done it. You know, it's just stupid. I should have taken doctor's advice and just, but you know, it's like the show must go on. Right. And you just don't want to cancel, but I ended up having to cancel. It was the worst. We were in Raleigh and we had like 3000 people waiting for us, you know, like we opened doors. Like, Cause I kept thinking <clears throat> I'm sleep it off, sleep it off, sleep yeah, it off yeah. or, you know, honey, whatever I got to do. Right. And there was 3000 people. We opened doors. There's 3000 people waiting. And I can't sing. It was the worst. It was the worst. Yeah. I got so many mean Instagram messages. So <laughs> many. It was awful. Come on. It was Rob. terrible. Uh, it was awful. Awful. <laughs> Obviously, one was very drunk and uh, was not happy. It was It was about one of the, I was like, man, I'd punch you in the face if I knew who you were. Like, it was like, <laughs> it was like, I'm not faking. <laughs> I'm not being a, I don't, I, it, was, it was weird. But yeah, I think about that a lot. Well, speaking of maybe offending people, maybe a in the South, especially when you put out sea of noise, right now it's a couple years after half the city has really taken off, but you've made a conscious decision to take a bit of a left turn, literally maybe and figuratively, <laughs> right? You read Brian Stevenson's book, just mercy, right? Um, the social justice uh, movement that is, still continuing and really cresting right now <clears throat> is in the forefront of your mind. Right. And again, people know you as the shouting preacher of soul with this big old band playing horns and you want to bring them a song like I'll be your woman. Right. Where we start subverting gender norms where we start having lyrics that maybe again are like foreshadowing the HB2 law in North Carolina, you know, the sort of the bathroom laws and, right. and actually saying things that even us hippies in California would be like, I'm not going to actually put that on my album. Right. <laughs> and you're doing this in a, in a place where the band is not fully famous yet. Right. You're just right. sort of coming into your own and you're, you're like, no, I'm going to, take this stand now right and you know maybe your band members were like you know what are we doing like are we sure we want to abandon this nice comfortable ship that we're in where people are like yeah it's it's a horn soul band that's what they do they're a throwback sound and that's it you know why did you want to take that turn and were you afraid of the repercussions um I, I'm just, glad you did. I'm glad you did personally, but I, I'm sure at the time it took some courage, you know? Uh, yes. Um, probably not as much courage as it takes a lot of other folks down yeah. here who have to deal with a lot, a lot of things. Um, I, it moved me. 
I think this is the best way to say it. Like, it's always something that's kind of been near and dear to my heart. Um, it just felt like the time for me. Um, right. I, I think what I struggled with is like, so we had this success with Half the City. And I was like, okay, what do I, what do I say now? Like, what, what do I, what do I do now? Right. And obviously we read the Brian Stevenson book, which Equal Justice Initiative is here in Alabama. Um, and we have the Southern Poverty Law Center. We have a lot of, I would say more progressive and doing, doing a lot of really great work in the state. Um, and our state's not viewed that way at all, as it shouldn't be. I mean, predominantly the politics here are what everyone thinks they are. Um, but it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like the right time and the right thing to, to say. Or, and it moved me. I mean, really, that's it, it, it causes creative um, swell. And, and, I, and I was like, you know, we have, you know, we did something with the, with the Justice Initiative. And I, Brian Stevenson was like, he was very kind. And he was just like, you know, please keep saying what you're saying. I think now with politics and things like that, I think they get a little like, oh God. But I, I think for me, it wasn't even, it wasn't even, I mean, I, I mean, I vote Democrat, but, but it wasn't even that. It was just a human issue. And it just felt like right. it was the right, you know, there's a lot of, those are the things to me, like you can label it however you want, but it's like being a good, good person and, and really applying those things, you know, the idea of loving and loving your neighbor and, and those things like those to me are always going to appeal more. And I just, I couldn't rectify, I couldn't justify, you know, you just can't, like I grew up that way. And it's like, I never understood these stances. They don't come, they don't, I don't feel like they come through a lens of love. And, um, and the idea of gender norms and things like that, I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was like this, I don't know. I, I wanted to go with it. I mean, to me, one of the, scariest song I, songs I wrote on that record is a song called Brain Matter. Mm. And the song starts off with that's my daddy with a gun shooting someone else's son. And it's basically about being a white, you know, son of a, of, of a white police officer mm. who kills someone. And the line is the color of a savior, because there's a lot of theories that, you know, Jesus was from the middle East. Right. And so, um, I, that's a very scary. Yeah. When we, when I, I was going this direction, there was definitely some like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> are you about the torpedo? Our right, career? Because, because you live in that community. Right. Yes, I mean, like right. you have to deal with that every day. I mean, a song like bruised fruit, right. You're talking about, you know, the blood, the DNA of this prejudice and this violence. Right whether you want to admit it or not, right? It's like in a lot of us, right? And we're reckoning with that as a country where we 
have sort of worshipped our founding fathers or sort of the origins of our country that were built on the backs of slaves, right? right? It's like we're just realizing that now for some reason, right? And obviously the critical race theory that's going through uh, all this discussion where it's like the idea that we actually have to admit or accept that there is systemic racism, unconscious bias, just that alone is really hard for people to realize. No one's even saying like, you're a racist, horrible person. You're saying like, this is within us. Can we admit that? Is that okay? You know? And for a lot of people, it's not. I think, I think what is interesting is growing up in this state and growing up in this city, which has such a um, horrible history, you know, with the 63 Baptist church bombings and, you know, the Children's March um, that really changed the tide of the civil rights movement. Um, you have that history here and you have to, you either have to be blind right, and, or, and ignore it. Or you have to acknowledge it, and I think that is the one thing that people that that are that understand that they they do acknowledge. It. You know what I mean? Like there is an acknowledgement. Um, it's not pretty. It's not beautiful. You know what I mean? And like right. It it. it but I do think people kind of understand that that's that that you you have you have to come to terms with it here. Yeah. If you if if you. If you really are looking and seeking, you have to come to terms with it here. Twinkle in your eyes, gone. You did nothing right, you did nothing wrong. There's pictures of you on the wall, but no one seems to recall the love that you gave, the love that you forsake. interesting about yeah some of those songs uh like red roof in is that you have less uh verse chorus structure right right it's a little more open-ended if you look at the lyrics that your publicist sent me it's almost like a um an ee e. cummings poem right sure there's like lines kind of floating on their own right there's no resolve right there's right. no um hook necessarily you know, it's like this is a moment in time that we're going to capture with this. Yeah, it's a vibe. Sound. I mean, really, that's right. what it is. It's a vibe. Another word, but I'm not quite the poet. 
was there something that inspired you to start creating music in that way was there an album a song that you're like this is something that i want to uh try to do myself i think a lot of like cool like some of that frank ocean stuff um there's a lot of like really great r&b records that even like some hip-hop stuff you know like some of the kendrick stuff and stuff like that um and then there's like jazz and kind of concept like radiohead stuff that yeah, this it's more about yeah, it's more about the vibe of the, the the song more so than like oh we gotta have verse chorus this you know it's like capturing the moment. Um, so I think I think we were just kind of feeling feeling and you know just kind of where the inspiration took us and that song was actually a demo that. Um, our saxophone player Amari put in the Dropbox, and I just really loved it. And so we we just kind of ran with it and fit, you know figured out what we were going to do and, and that kind of thing. Can you tell us uh, who the personnel is uh, in your band right now? We have. You want names? Yeah, what they play and and you know. Uh, so right now, so we have. Um, Jesse Phillips, who uh, on the record, you know, on the record played bass and then played some guitar, and then Bro and Lawler, who's the guitar player, but also he did all sorts of stuff on the new record. Um, Al Gamble, who is an amazing keys player. I mean, if it has keys on it, Al can make it sound amazing. Um, it's it's fun. It's funny because Al. Is, is legitimately one of the best Hammond B3 players on the planet. Like, legitimately, yeah. there's no two ways about it. And we, past couple of records have kind of been like, yeah, that's good. Can you play a synthesizer? And so it's, <laughs> you know, what? Uh, I know he's, and he's, 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 I mean, he's taking to it like fish, fish in water. Like, he, he, he has been amazing. Um, I'm actually so I'm, I'm proud of him because he could just be like, no, nah, man, I can make. But he he's he like he gets in there, you get the the moog and all that stuff, and uh, it's been pretty amazing. Um, and then we've got uh, Kevin Leon on drums, and he did you know he actually you know on on the record like played some keys and just an amazing musician. And then we have on you know Amari Ansari on saxophone. And he also plays the the synth. I mean, during the show now, because because this is not a real horn heavy record. Um, I think for them as well, like the guys who with the quote quote horn section, they wanted to be like, hey, we're musicians. Like we're beyond. We're more right. than just just horn players, and they are. They're incredible musicians. Um, so he's playing some synthesizer in the show, um, and then Alan, our Alan Brandstetter, our trumpet player, he's also playing guitar in the show now. Um, and then Chad, our Chad Fisher, our trombone player, he's playing keys and, and, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun, um, because now we've gotten to really expand the sound and those guys have really kind of got to stretch out and really show people that like, they, they are immensely talented. They are yeah. immensely talented and, and multifaceted in what they can do. Um, so it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to kind of watch them grow as well. When you opened for the Rolling Stones, 
was there a song that you were like, I have to play this song hoping that maybe Mick and Keith would see it? Well, uh, it was encouraged to us uh, through Keith that he would love to hear an Otis Redding song. So we played uh, I've Been Loving You Too Long one time, and then we played Try a Little Tenderness another time. Um, and yeah, they were side stage watching the show, um, uh, which is pretty surreal. And you want to be free My love is going stronger As you become a habit to me Let's say you could create a St. Paul and the Broken Bones magical roadshow. Somehow you have the ability to book five artists with you, dead or alive, from any point in history. Wow. Who would be on that tour? Oof. Man, it's so hard. Um, as long as we're opening the show, I would because there are like... I mean, Prince would be on my list, but there is no way in hell that I would want to follow Prince, as I <laughs> I, I assume a nobody would want to. Um, All right, he's the closer. Yeah, he's definitely the closer. Um, I mean, really, my list would be like Prince, um, Sam and Dave. I heard, like, I've read books and talked to people that, like, that Sam and Dave show was incredible. Like, one would pass out and like they would like just incredible. I mean, Otis Redding, I think said like, I don't want them to ever open up for me again because I can't <laughs> follow it. So I've always wanted to like see that in full action, you know, okay. like to see how it was. Um, I think something like Tom Waits would be amazing. Radiohead. Um, that last one would be, I don't know. It'd be really tough. Um, Marvin Gaye. Done. There you go. That would be my dream. I don't even know what I would do. My head would explode. Have you considered getting a hype man for your shows who just lays like a cape over you at the end, like James Brown? <laughs> we did at one point uh, think about, we really thought about this. It was a part in the show early on where I would fake like I had a heart attack and die. And we thought it would be really funny to get people to get like a, like dressed as like nurses and stuff uh, okay. and, and get a fake defibrillator and come out and like pump me. And then I rise up. Um, but then we were like, that could scare the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah. um, but it would have to be very obvious that it was put on. Um, but we thought about that for a really long time. Have we been able to hire somebody? We would have. Besides that though, I don't, I know this is weird, but like it is a band. So I don't, like, yeah, I perform and I do the thing, it, but I've always, like, for me, like, I'm always going to do crazy shit, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I've always, just, yeah, I don't know, you know, with the James Brown kind of thing. Like, we definitely can do that, but I, I've always just been like, you know, I don't need a hype, man. I just go in there and band plays. I come out or whatever, but um, I've just always very much viewed it as a band situation, so. 
you know, I guess everybody would need a hype man, right? What is the song on the new record that if you were to play the first music festival on Mars, <laughs> you have to open with one song off the new record. Oh, Take us man. out. Which song? I would oh, on Mars. That changes things. Um, it would either be the single last dance or it would be uh, the song. Uh, Ten Men Love, which is right. such a weird offbeat kind of song. It was written by a drummer, so that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> um, so it would either be one of those two. Oily fields and neon flowers bloom. Does Jesus cry when robots lose their <laughs> lives? Waiting for the rhyme. Do I even care what's about to come? I just wish I could run into the sun. It's probably yeah. very cold on Mars. So I that, know. That yeah, it's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, just a weird song. It feels like an alien song. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could do this, man. Um, I'm uh, I'm sure we'll see you out and about soon. Very soon, man. We're we're getting cranked up. It is getting started. Very quick. Very soon. Um, so I'm thanks. just trying to congrats get on the a new record, man. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, bud. We'll keep up the good work. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Well, there he goes now. Paul Janeway of St. Paul in the Broken Bones. Big thanks for all the time he gave me. And uh, you can get their new record, Alien Coast, on ATO Records right now. It is a dreamy trip through time and space. And um, I'm going to take this very brief moment that my daughter July Jasper is not screaming in my arms to tell you that uh, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be playing a really cool West Coast swing with the infamous String Dusters including March 31st at the Wiltern. Please check that out. As always, The Show on the Road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly Zach Lubiton and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe and we'll see you on the trail. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.